Good morning. My name is Brady Collinger. Nice to be here with you guys. Reminded me while we were singing that of high school and college days of going to concerts. I was right up here by the speaker. So if I yell, it's because my ears are ringing right now because I was too close to the speaker and I'm old. So, um, But we have been, uh, this week we are doing the second part of a three-week series on prayer. Last week you heard Scott talk about formal versus informal prayer. Today we're going to talk about circumstances and mission how Nehemiah prayed through those two things. And then the last week, um, you're going to work at, or, uh, hear about personal uh, versus corporate prayer and how Nehemiah did those two things. So just to give you a little background about Nehemiah and the story that's going on here, uh, God's people, the Israelites, had kings, and those kings uh, you know, were from God, but the people uh, sinned against God, so therefore, God brought calamity upon them. He brought some people from other nations that came in, broke down their walls, broke down their temple. The people scattered from Jerusalem, and they were broken apart uh, from where God really wanted them to be. So God always said, hey, if you repent and come back to me, I will bring you back to, where, uh, back to your city, Jerusalem, again. So the people repented. They brought a guy named Zerubbabel came along, and he helped rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but the walls were still broken down. And then Nehemiah hears this about 75 years later. A guy comes to him and says, hey, the temple's rebuilt, but the walls are still broken down. And then Nehemiah says he wept for days over this. And uh, Nehemiah at this point was in a foreign land. He was a cupbearer to the king, so he had worked himself up to a pretty high position, and uh, he started praying to God and seeking, hey, how, God, we want to rebuild this wall. We want to repent and come back to you. So that's where kind of the book of Nehemiah starts out. And we see Nehemiah as a man uh, uh, who just prayed and sought God to come into those circumstances and uh, help rebuild the wall. In fact, they rebuilt the wall in, in 52 days around the city. So we really see a good testament there of what God did through that story. Um, a story from my life, uh, when I was um, a senior in high school, I thought it was a good idea to take a missions trip. Sounds good. Well, back in uh, that time here at our church, we didn't really take any missions trips at that time, so we didn't have any groups that went. So it was kind of up to me to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, I landed with this organization called Teen Missions International and decided that I was going to Costa Rica. Now, there were three I would say, comfort zone breakers with this whole deal that I decided to do. The first one was, I knew no one going on the trip. I just said, hey, God, feel like you're calling me to take a missions trip. Let's go to Costa Rica. And, you know, I really uh, wanted to do this. So I'm going on this trip knowing no one. Now, for some of you young people out there, you're saying, what's the big deal? You just look them up on Facebook, figure out who they are, look at that stuff. It's awesome. Well, all I knew about him was this piece of paper that was sent to me that had a picture of everyone going on the trip, and middle school through high school and some college kids, and it had their name. So that's all I knew, okay? So I go on this trip. So that was the first thing that was really out of my comfort zone. The second thing was it was a six-week trip, not just a one-week trip, six-week trip. So I'm going on this six-week trip with no one that I know, and if you've been on a one-week mission trip before, you know about halfway through the trip, after you've only slept about four hours a day, 
that people annoy you. These people you're not around much, they're annoying. And sometimes you realize you're the annoying one, but after about, you know, that middle of the week, you're like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to make it three more days with these people? You know, that type of thing. Well, when you're on a six-week trip, those three days turn into about three or four weeks. How in the world am I ever going to stay with these guys for three or four more weeks? Because, you know, we're middle high school kids, so all we know is to do what we want to do, self-absorbed. So it it was kind of rough in that area, too. And I remember at times just going, oh, my gosh, God, please just help me through these circumstances. Get me through this. And then the third thing was how the trip started. Um, I remember my parents driving me up to Goshen, Indiana. It was probably about 11 o'clock at night, and this bus picked me up. You know, it was picking up kids all along the East Coast, and we were going to Missouri to start our trip there, which, by the way, sounds a lot like misery. So um, I get on this bus, and it wasn't one of those nice Summit coach buses. It was an old school bus. No air conditioning, no nothing, and this bus pulls up, and I just get on this bus at 11 o'clock at night. Bus is pitch black because everybody on the bus is sleeping. And I just remember kind of standing there looking down the aisle going, I guess I'll sit in the front seat. So I sat down in the front seat and the bus took off and it was just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll try and sleep. So, you know, laying down on an old school bus. And that was how the trip started. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? Uh, but through those circumstances, it was a really great time for me. I grew a lot as a Christian, uh, and there were definitely some up and down times on that trip. I remember times sitting there at, you know, in the evenings or during the day going, oh my gosh, God, how am I ever going to make it through this, you know, and, and the trials and stuff that I went through. So today we're going to take a look at circumstances in Nehemiah's life and circumstances in your own life and uh, see how that relates. So if you have a Bible with you, or it should be up on the screen, we're going to turn to Nehemiah 1. And you looked at the same passage last week with Scott, and we're going to kind of uh, look at some of the same things that you looked at last week with formal prayer and look at what Nehemiah did through this. So let's read through Nehemiah 1, and then we'll kind of talk about it. In the month of Keselev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish, Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said, Lord... God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, 
and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of the man uh, of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So here we see God, uh, or Nehemiah praying to God and saying, God, here's our circumstances. The wall is broken down. Lord, we need the wall. Walls were very important back then because they protected the city from invaders. So if you didn't have a wall, people just walked right into your city. So the wall was very important for those reasons, and Nehemiah knew that. It was kind of like a symbol of, hey, we're good now. we got a wall around our city. We're protected. And Nehemiah knew that was very important. So he was crying out to God saying, God, we need this wall. Lord, what can we do? And you kind of start seeing Nehemiah formulating his plan on uh, getting that done. The other thing that's interesting as he prays through his circumstances, uh, just like you saw last week uh, through this, you see a couple different things that he does besides just pray for his circumstances. If you're like me, a lot of times, when, especially when things aren't going good in life, you make this list and you start going to God and say, God, take care of this thing. God, help me out with this. Hey, so-and-so is sick. And we create that list and we go to God and pray that list to him and, and hope everything uh, works out well through that. Well, Nehemiah doesn't just come with his list. He also comes with some other aspects of prayer. The first thing we see as we look through this, uh, there's confession of sin. It says, Lord, we've sinned against you. We repent of our sins. Not just me, my family, all of Israel, we, re- we repent. So we see a confession of sin. And we see confession of sin because uh, Nehemiah knew that that sin is what was keeping the promises away from Israel. That's why they were scattered. That's why their walls were broken down. They weren't experiencing the full promises of God because of the sin. So same thing in our life. If we're carrying around sin, God has promises for us that we're probably not receiving because of that sin in our life. So we see Nehemiah confessing sin. The second thing we see is Nehemiah talking about the promises that God's brought uh, for Israel. And he says, God, remember, you said if we repent, you will bring us back together again. And so sometimes praying those promises back to God uh, remind us that God is faithful. Uh, Maybe it's praying, um, you know, that God, you said you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. That's a promise you've given me. So praying those promises back to God that we see in God's word uh, help us uh, remind ourselves that God promises great things for us. The third thing that we see is Nehemiah spends time praising God. So sometimes if you're stuck on your list, you spend time uh, just really looking at that and saying, man, God, look at all these things that suck in my life. Instead of going, man, God, you're great. Look at these things in the past that went on in my life and you brought me through them. You were faithful and Lord, we praise you for that. So Nehemiah, again, praises God for the things that he has done in his life. Uh, So Nehemiah shows a good example of not just praying through a list of our circumstances, but also looking at confessing sin, reminding ourselves the promises that God's given us, and also praising God for who he is. Uh, Another good example we see of that in the Bible is David. If you read through Psalms, you see many times where David is just pouring out his soul. God, man, I'm I'm at my end. I'm hiding in a cave so someone doesn't kill me. Lord, what am I gonna do now? But also along with that, you see David praising God for who he is and reminding himself of the promises uh, that God's given him. So if you, uh, again, would like to turn to Psalm 31, we're going to read through one of these psalms where David expresses uh, those things. And as we read through it, 
I'll kind of highlight it, but look at transitions. Look at how he's not just praying, God, I'm in trouble, help me. But he's also uh, talking about, you know, promises that God's given him and praising God for who he is. So let's read through this. Um, The other thing is, as you read through this, David was in a dark, dark, dark place. He was trying to hide from people that, was killing, that were trying to kill him. Uh, in one situation in his life, he was trying to hide from his own son so his son wouldn't kill him. Um, and as I was thinking about this word dark, um, in, in, I'm a school teacher, and we talk about colors. I said, okay, you know, we have colors. What's the color black? It's a color black. Well, black is the absence of light. And I say, well, how many of you ever experienced the absence of light? And the students will say, I've been in a closet before. That's, that's dark. Yeah, but after a while, your eyes adapt. You get a little bit of light underneath the door or something like that, and you can start to see figures and stuff like that. And I say, how many of you ever been to Mammoth Cave? Might get a couple kids. And if you've ever been there before, you know you walk way back in that cave, and they warn you, hey, we're going to turn out the lights Oh, okay, you're going to turn out the lights. After about 30 seconds, my eyes will adapt and I'll see things again. Well, they turn out the lights and your eyes don't adapt because there is no light and everything around you is black. So if you say, hey, what color is that shirt? It's black because there's no light. And I just remember being back in that cave and I was like taking my hand going like that and I'm going, my hand's gone. I can't see it. You know, I was probably, you know, in elementary school or something. I thought, this is weird. And then I started looking around and going, there's no one around me. Everybody's gone. And that's where David was. He was in a point of pure darkness going, God, help me out of this. And we just actually just sung it in one of those songs where it talked about being in darkness and that God stepped down from heaven to pull us out of that darkness. So we're going to see that as we read through here. So Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness Turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and my soul and body with grief. So these first eight verses are, God, you've been faithful. You've taken care of me. You've looked after me. You've taken care of my afflictions. You've taken care of my anguish. And then verse nine kind of starts this downfall spiral of where he's at in his life. And verse 10 says, my life is consumed by anguish, my years, my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I, have forgotten as though, I am forgotten as though I were dead. I become like broken pottery. For I hear them whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. That's a pretty low place in life when your own neighbors are saying, Psh, let's get rid of him. Utter contempt by your neighbors and dread by my closest friends. That's a pretty low place, and that's where David was. And then we read on from there in verse 14, and it says, but I trust in you, Lord. 
I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies for those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. So we see uh, David coming back to the promises of God and saying, God, your unfailing love, it's gonna take care of me. I know it is. Even though I'm way down here, you're gonna take care of me. So as we look at our um, uh, circumstances in our own life, remember as you pray through that list, and God wants to hear our prayer requests, also remember to go back and look at how has God taken care of you in the past? If you're a journaler, maybe keeping track of those things. So when you're in a place like where David is right here, maybe uh, your marriage isn't going well, the job's not good, you just wonder how do I parent these kids, anything like that, and, you're, and you can go back and say, wow, look how God was faithful here. Look how he took care of me in this situation. Uh, looking at God's promises, confessing sin, and then also going back and just praising God for who he is, his unfailing love and how he takes care of us. So those are kind of the three things uh, as we look at our prayer life to kind of throw in there. And you looked at that last week when you kind of looked through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and intercession. So you see those things. So supplication and intercession are this idea of bringing our circumstances to God. And then we have adoration, confession, and thanksgiving that kind of go along with that. So as we kind of make a transition over to John Haydock coming up here, and he's going to talk about mission and how Nehemiah kind of prayed through that, we're going to take a minute or two, and I just want you to bow your heads, and maybe it's just taking a a, a second to think about how has God been faithful in the past? What promises has he brought to me uh, that I know he's been faithful in the past and he's going to be faithful again? And then praying that to God along with maybe a circumstance in your life that you're going through. And then John's going to come up here and talk us through uh, mission. So bow your head and let's pray. Yes, Jesus, we uh, pray this morning and come before you humbly, seeking your face. We worship you and praise you because we know that you've not left us alone, but you've brought us your Holy Spirit to comfort and guide and direct us, trusting in the promises you've given us. And we just praise you and uh, thank you for your goodness and how you care for us abundantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brady. So my name is John Haydock. I also am one of your elders here at Grace, and we're glad to be here this morning. Um, Now for a little bit of contrast. So we've seen how David and Nehemiah both were very open with God. They prayed openly out of the circumstances in their lives, and they've done this with all of their emotions and out of a great overflow of love for the Father. Now we're going to go back to Nehemiah again, only this time we're going to see how Nehemiah focuses and prays on his mission and how this is a focus of his life. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah was distraught over the destruction in Jerusalem. God used this as a changing point or a kairos moment in his life, brought great conviction upon him to do something about it. He responded with mourning and fasting for several days, and then he prayed the prayer that Brady just read with us just a little bit ago. It's clear the way this prayer ends that Nehemiah has already thought through a plan of how he's going to get involved in restoring Jerusalem. And he's going to go before the king. 
But before he starts this mission plan or this mission project he has, he prays and he beseeches God for mercy. And then his prayer ends with these words. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So the man he's referring to here is the king. This is the first step in his action plan to pursue a mission of advancing God's kingdom by rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a man who was convicted in his heart. He made a plan. But before pursuing this plan, what does he do? He prays. So living a missional life was important to Nehemiah. And he prays as he starts. So when I grew up, prayer was a ritual. We recited the same words to the same prayers over and over again. When I became a follower of Christ and, a, um, and became a believer, I learned how to pray conversationally. However, these prayers were entirely focused on my circumstances, for my needs. I would pray for things that I feared. I would pray for decisions I had to make. I would pray for health needs for myself and for others. It was a few years, years after that that I had an experience that's changed my thinking and attitude about prayer forever. Teresa and I had just left our years in the Navy, and we had relocated to Canton, Ohio. And for the first time in my life, I was attending a Bible-teaching church, and we were growing rapidly. This church supported a missionary couple who were in Italy, Marco and Sherry De Felice. They happened to be back in the U.S. for a visit, and we were privileged to be invited to a gathering at somebody's house one evening to get to meet Marco and hear about his stories. So as we were there and I was listening to Marco speak and tell about his experiences, my heart was burning inside me. Marco was talking about having spiritual conversations with people in the line at the grocery store. He was sharing the gospel with people for the first time. He was taking new believers and reading through the book of John with them. I felt like I was sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. This was some of the most exciting conversation I had ever heard. And I wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to do these things myself. However, <clears throat> I recognized a problem you see, um, I am not a charismatic person like Marco De Felice. I don't naturally attract people to myself. <laughs> in fact, um, at that time in my life, I wasn't really even sure I liked people. I would have rather been in my basement working on a project than have to deal with people. But after this meeting, I went up to Marco and I asked him, I said, Giving these, given these limitations in my personality, how can I do some of these things? And his answer to me was short and was simple. 
He said, John, pray for open doors to share the gospel. I'd never heard these terms before. The words were kind of foreign to me. And it wasn't until several weeks later I read through this passage, a passage in Colossians chapter 4, where Paul uses these words. He says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Like Nehemiah, Paul was a man of mission. He was convicted and lived out his convictions. He also lived out his mission through prayer. Paul prayed for his mission and the mission of the gospel. Although he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was in financial need, in the scriptures we see almost no example of Paul praying for his own circumstances. When he prayed, he prayed for his mission. So even after my encounter with Marco De Felice, I still find myself focused in my prayer on circumstances and health issues. And there's really nothing wrong with that. Brady um, encouraged that. We see the example of Nehemiah and Paul, uh, or of, of David praying through circumstances. But I think both Nehemiah and Paul show us that there can be something more to our prayer life. Do you struggle like me being in a rut and just praying through the circumstances in your life? Well, this morning I'm going to give you three elements that you can add to your prayer life uh, to engage in praying for mission and advancing God's kingdom. So first, as I mentioned, it's clear in Paul's writings that he is focused on praying for the ministry of the gospel. This was clear in the Colossians 4 passage I read. Then in Romans 10.1, Paul expresses his love and his heart's desire that his fellow Israelites would hear the gospel and be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, his prayer is that the message of the gospel would spread rapidly. And then he prays that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. Paul was a man of mission, and he prayed for the ministry of the gospel. Praying for the salvation of others was vital to him, and this ought to be an element in our prayer as well. Second, Paul prayed abundantly for the spiritual growth of his fellow believers. So here's an abbreviated list of some words Paul uses when he prays uh, for the growth of his, his brothers and sisters. Uh, perfection, to know him better, to be pure and blameless, to please the Lord, patience, power to fulfill your good purposes. Words are powerful. These are powerful words. And prayer is all about words. These are words that Paul prayed and prayed often, continually, night and day. He was a man devoted to seeing his fellow believers grow in the faith, and he prayed accordingly. Certainly, we should be praying for one another the same way. It ought to be a priority for us to pray for the spiritual growth of one another. Third, in the opening sentences of six of Paul's letters that he wrote, 
he uses the very same phrase. So I'm going to read you a few examples of these. But as I read these, be listening for a common theme. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. We always thank God for all of you. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Did you catch the theme? Paul prayed in thanksgiving for his fellow brothers. He gave thanks for those who locked arms with him and engaged in the gospel. He so loved these people that he prayed continually, giving thanks for them. Repeating this over and over many times demonstrates the importance and value of praying and giving thanks for our brothers and sisters. So here are three elements that you can add to your prayer life. Pray for the mission of the gospel, pray for spiritual growth, and pray giving thanks for those who are engaged in the mission. So now as we draw to a close, we're going to return to our friend and faithful leader, Nehemiah. We started at the beginning of Nehemiah's missionary journey. Now we're going to jump all the way to the end. We're going to look at chapter 13 of Nehemiah. And an interesting observation in this chapter, Nehemiah prays again. He prays three times, three short little prayers in Nehemiah chapter 13. But what's interesting and different about these prayers in chapter 13 is that he prays in retrospective. Prior to each of these prayers, Nehemiah had done some kind of act of leadership or some kind of act of faith in living out his mission. Then he prays that God would bless his work. In chapter 1, he prayed before he started his mission. And now in chapter 13, he does his mission work and then he prays. So here's an example of one of these prayers. He says, Remember me for this, O my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. It's almost like these prayers serve as bookends, holding together all of the missionary effort of Nehemiah in his life. Prayer before and prayer after. And we can remember this also. We should pray before we start our mission and we should pray as we finish our mission. So since... Uh, the meeting I've had with our missionary friend Marco all those years ago, I have increased my prayer for the ministry of the gospel. I've prayed for open doors of the gospel for myself and for others. And I'm happy to tell you today that I actually do like being with people and enjoy <laughs> others. God has used me to share the gospel, and I've even had the privilege of leading a few of my friends to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you today is to reflect on your own prayers and your prayer life and join me in praying for the mission of the gospel. Pray for the spiritual growth of your fellow brothers and sisters. Give thanks for one another. And pray as you start and pray when you finish your labor for the gospel. So to finish this morning, we're going to pray, and I'd like to pray together. There's a, a really beautiful prayer that Paul prays to the people in the church at Ephesus. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this prayer, but I'm not just going to read it. I'm going to read it as a prayer over all of you. 
This will be a prayer for Grace Gathering and for the ministry of Grace Gathering. And so as I pray this, I invite you to join with me as, and pray along with me as I'm praying this. And make that a prayer for everybody, your fellow brothers and sisters here, as we engage in the gospel. And I'd like to do this a little differently than the way we normally pray as well. I'm going to ask that we all stand together. So let's stand and then join with me as I uh, read this and pray this passage over us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole, heaven, whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.